As we mentioned at the start, today is Pentecost Sunday. It's called this because it occurs 50 days after Easter. Just like a pentagon is a five-sided figure, so Pentecost is 50 days after the celebration of Easter. That's where it gets its name. And it coincides with the Jewish Feast of Weeks, which occurs seven weeks after Passover. And we read about this in Acts chapter 2. All the disciples were gathered together when a rushing wind began to blow. Tongues of fire appeared, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And many Jews who had come to celebrate the Feast of Weeks saw all of this commotion, and they were amazed that they were all speaking different languages. And then Peter stands up and preaches a powerful sermon. And in the end, about 3,000 people were baptized and began following the way of Jesus. And this is usually what we think of when we think about Pentecost. God's people gathered together in the powerful movement of the Spirit. But that's a difficult story to really think about and enter into this year. Because... Well, we're not gathered together. And with all the challenges from COVID-19 and beyond, it can be difficult to feel any movement of the Spirit. But Acts 2 is not the only text that tells us about the Holy Spirit. You see, the Spirit who moved in power over the early church is the same Spirit who hovered over the chaotic waters before creation. And that same Spirit hovers over our chaos today, granting us life, groaning in our pain, and growing us in love. And this is what I want to focus on today. So open your Bible to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is where we're going to be today. This whole chapter is all about the powerful work of the Holy Spirit if your Bible has headings in it, then the one over this chapter probably reads something like Life in the Spirit. And so we're going to start by reading this entire chapter all the way through. So I want to ask you to settle in, move into a posture of listening and receiving. And instead of me reading this whole chapter to you, I've asked several people to read it through for us. And so as we read, you're going to hear the voices of Bill Adernetto, Brent Rollins, Chris Cole, and Terry Wolf, along with some music from the Dwell app. Use this time to listen closely and receive these words. And then after we've read, we'll take some time to reflect on this scripture together. So now... Romans chapter 8. Hear the word of the Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and to deal with sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the just requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For this reason, the mind that is set on flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh. You are in the Spirit. Since the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, Though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If, in fact, we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. I consider that the present sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. But that very spirit intercedes besides too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the spirit, because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined 
to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom he predestined he also called, and those whom he called he also justified, and those whom he justified he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us, who will separate us from the love of Christ. Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh Lord, thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. And thank you for these words of scripture. I pray that as we consider them and reflect on them together today, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this chapter is rich and dense, and, and it's worth reading through or listening through more than once. In fact, if, if you have time, you might consider backing up this video to listen to that again. But truly, a whole sermon series could be preached from this chapter, and, and I actually thought about it. But for today, I want to keep a bird's eye view on the work of the Spirit that's described in this passage. And as we consider the chapter as a whole, we can see at least three things coming to the front. We can see that the Holy Spirit grants us life groans in our pain, and also grows us in love. So these are the three things that I want to reflect on today. So first, the Holy Spirit grants us life. Now, the chapter begins with this great declaration, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the proclamation that the letter to the Romans has been working towards so far, the first seven chapters, right? And in these first seven chapters, Paul has written about the dark reality of sin, but also the powerful reality of salvation. And he's used images of death and birth, of slavery and freedom, 
And he has announced the the victory of Jesus in the midst of all of this. And then at the start of chapter 8, he makes this great proclamation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the good news. Though we were enslaved in sin, we are set free in Christ. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus has saved us from all the powers of sin. And so Paul proclaims there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Many of us know that this is the story of the gospel. We have heard it preached and we have responded to the message. And if you haven't, then take this to heart. But for many of us, I think this is where the story of the gospel has stopped, right? This was the last line of the sermon. And then there was an altar call or something. There's no condemnation. Our sins are forgiven. The end. But this is not where Paul ends. We're not even halfway through his letter to the Romans. No, Paul has a lot more to say. You see, God does not only want to free us from sin and deliver us from death. God wants to bring us into life. And that's where the Holy Spirit is at work. This is what Paul goes on to say in verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. You see, God is not only freeing us from sin and death, but leading us into life. And how does he do this? Through the spirit of life. The Holy Spirit grants us life. And this is God's goal. You see, much of the way that Paul explains the gospel throughout Romans echoes back to the story of the Exodus. Paul writes about how we have been slaves of sin, just like the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. And we have been set free from sin, just like the Israelites were set free from Egypt. But here's the deal. Their deliverance from Egypt was not the end of the story. Why did God free them from Egypt? Well, it it was so he could lead them into a promised land where they could truly live. And the very same thing is true for us. God sets us free so that we can truly live. Look, this is one of my favorite analogies. Here's a way of thinking about it. The gospel is like a pencil. What's the point of a pencil? Well, its purpose is to write and to draw. Now, it's handy that a pencil has an eraser on the end just in case you mess up and need to erase something. But the purpose of a pencil is to draw and write, to create. And this is what the gospel is like. 
But we have all too often held the gospel backwards. We think that the main point is to erase our sins. And so we keep on living, we keep on sinning, and we keep on asking God to get out the eraser. Now, that is part of the gospel. The gospel does erase our sins, but it's not really the main point. The point of the gospel, once sin is erased, is to draw, is to write, is to create new life. There is no condemnation, is not the end of the story. It's the beginning of a new story. And just like Jesus' death was not the end of the story, but was followed up by the surprise of resurrection. And this is the story that God is inviting us into. In verse 11, Paul says that the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in you. And he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. So this is the work of the spirit as we are delivered from death. The spirit leads us into life. And life in the spirit is all roses and daffodils, right? I mean, once we're living in the spirit, life is all good and easy, right? Oh, how I wish that were true. But Christian faith is not just wishful thinking. It is rooted in reality. And reality is hard. In the next section of chapter 8, Paul does not shy away from the hard reality of suffering. In verse 21, he describes how creation itself is in bondage to decay. And then he depicts this chorus of lament, a choir of groaning. Creation is groaning in pain, and we are groaning as we wait. But surely God is above all of that. Right? I mean, surely as the Spirit leads us into life, we're lifted out of this noisy drone of groaning. Right? Not at all. In verse 26, the Spirit is right here, groaning along with us. You see, God is leading us out of death and into life, but the pathway for that is not out of this world into some otherworldly heaven out there. Rather, as we follow the Spirit, we find ourselves drawn closer and closer to the pain of this world, and we find ourselves joining our own voices with that chorus of groaning. And I think it's very clear that this is the call of the church during this season that the world is in. This is the work of the Spirit among us. There is so much to groan. 
There is so much to lament. COVID-19 has infected over five and a half million people and has led to over 360,000 deaths across the world. And it's easy to grow numb to all those numbers. But each number has a story. There are more than 360,000 stories of death and loss and grief that people are living through right now. Just the other day, I was listening to NPR where I heard the story of an elderly woman with dementia who got COVID-19. And after her diagnosis, she went into isolation where her dementia grew worse without any of the common reminders and interactions that helped her remember where she is and who she is. She didn't even know that she had COVID-19. And after 10 days of deteriorating mental and physical health, COVID-19 took her life. And now her family grieves and groans the loss of a mother and a grandmother. And that's just one of these 360,000 stories. But in addition to the physical toll that COVID-19 has had, there's also the toll of the many responses to it. Business closures and restrictions have led to tens of millions of job losses in the U.S. alone, which puts economically vulnerable people just that much closer to the loss of food and shelter. And stay-at-home orders might have just sort of been an inconvenience for a lot of people, but it's been outright dangerous for those whose homes are not safe places. There have been reports that domestic abuse has risen across the world during these months, and so has the sexual exploitation of children whose abusers are often their own parents or close relatives. Now victims are essentially locked in with their abusers. And they have nowhere to turn. And in each of these cases, there is another voice of groaning in the world. And aside from COVID, you cannot have seen the news this week without hearing the story of George Floyd, who died after a police officer pressed his knee into his neck for more than eight minutes. He cried out, saying that he couldn't breathe. He moaned and grasped for air while bystanders pleaded with the officers to stop or check his pulse or something. But they did not let up, and George Floyd died. Now, some people hear stories like this and immediately jump to these political goals, and wherever you fall in that, can we just stop for a moment? Feel the weight 
of death that occurred. While we are busy shouting and arguing with one another, the Spirit is groaning. So whether it's COVID-19, or death and rioting in the streets, or any of the other suffering in the world, there is so much to groan. Now at this point, some of you are wondering, why is he talking about all of this? I mean, I, I just feel so heavy now. And that's why. That heaviness that you feel, that inward groan, that is the work of the Spirit. The Spirit grants us life, but He also groans with us in the midst of suffering. And He leads us to groan with the ones who are suffering. And as we consider all of this, we, we may begin to feel helpless. You know, I don't know what to do. I don't even know what to pray. And that's exactly what Paul says in verse 26. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. But that very Spirit intercedes with sighs. It's the same word as groans with groans too deep for words. So if you don't have any words to say in light of all of this pain, neither does the Spirit. The Spirit groans and sighs too deep for words. He meets us in our wordlessness and helps us learn how to groan. So in this season, let your groaning be heard. And when you feel the weight of the world, the heaviness of all the suffering going on, and you can do nothing but groan, this is the work of the Spirit in you. This is how Paul describes the work of the Spirit among us. But Paul is very creative. The painful groaning that he describes is not just any kind of groaning. In verse 22, he describes it as groaning in labor pains. Which means that this suffering and groaning is not an end in itself, but rather a part of of the process of birth. This groaning is part of the process of leading us into life, which is what the Spirit does. For there is no life without birth, and there is no birth without labor pains. But after the groaning of labor, when a mother is holding her newborn child, there is only one thing that remains, and that is the deep bond of love. And this is also what the Holy Spirit does among us. And this is where Paul ends this great chapter on the work of the Spirit. In verse 35, he writes, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? 
And he goes on to list all the groan-worthy sufferings he can think of. Hardship, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. And then in verse 37, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And when Paul wrote these words, he did so as one well acquainted with hardship, distress, and persecution. In fact, he knew persecution from both sides. From his early days as a chief opponent and persecutor of the church, to his later days as a chief missionary of the church when he was often persecuted and thrown into jail himself. Paul knew suffering well. He knew the groaning of the Spirit. But nevertheless, he was convinced that nothing is able to separate us from the love of God. And this too is the work of the Spirit. It is by the Spirit that we grow in the love of God. Just as the Spirit rested on Jesus at his baptism after his Father spoke from heaven, This is my beloved Son. So the Spirit rests on us and reminds us that we too are God's beloved children. In the Spirit, we can rest in the love that God has for us. But the Spirit does not only show us that we are loved by God. He also shows us how to love like God. And as we grow more rooted in the love that God has for us, we also become more ready to share that love with others. This is the work of the Spirit in us as we grow in love and show that love to the world. And so even in this season, though we are scattered and though pain and suffering abounds, the Spirit is still at work among us, granting us life, groaning with us in pain, and growing us in love. And so as we draw to a close, I want to offer you a few questions to reflect on as you consider this next week. As the Spirit grants us life, what does it look like for you to really be alive this week? What would it look like for you to really be alive this week? As the Spirit groans with us, what are the things that are heavy on your heart and beyond words? How can you groan those things 
with God this week. And as the Spirit grows us in love, what does it look like for you to rest in God's love this week? And who are the ones that you can show God's love to this week? As we remember the Spirit who came upon the church at Pentecost, may we be filled with that very same Spirit who gives us life, comforts us in our pain, and grows us in love. Amen.